Good morning. Good morning. And again, welcome to those of you who have come as members of Women Transcending Boundaries or Unity Church, Interfaith Works. Have I missed anything? And of course, all of you who are members of the Zen Center, it's wonderful to be together. We just experienced what it's like to be still, to be silent in the midst of motion and sound. We very rarely get that opportunity. The opportunity is always present, right? We very rarely accept it. Right in the midst of everything, we can enter into this vastness that we can experience when we, as I like to say, sit down and shut up. How many of you have seen the film Into Great Silence? It's about a Christian community, right? Carthusian? Hmm? Contemplative order. Some of you are old enough and involved in the arts to know Andy Warhol, right? How many of you know Andy Warhol? Beyond his soup cans and Marilyn Monroe, he did filmmaking. And maybe some of you have seen the film called Sleep. Anyone? Eight hours in real time. (laughs) This is his way of entering into this stillness, vastness. And of course, when we are asleep, normally we are out of it, right? Out of it. But the stillness or the silence in meditation is definitely not being out of it. It's being one with it. There's a poem by Rumi that some of you may know called Don't Go Back to Sleep. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. This is where the two worlds touch, silence, sound, waking, sleeping. To be awake to all of it, to be attentive, to be one with all of it as it is. And always going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. When he says, you must ask for what you really want, 
What is that? What do you really want? A Mercedes Benz? <laughs> New job? What do you really want? Hmm? Anybody? Peace. Peace? Happiness? Happiness? Fulfillment. Justice. Justice. Meaning. Hmm? Meaning. I want you to speak louder. Meaning. Meaning. Just to be. Hmm? Just to be. Just to be. You must ask for what you really want is another way of saying... We often use this word in our practice, to vow. To vow to liberate all beings from suffering. This is the essence of what we are doing here. To ask for what you really want. We may say peace, same thing. We may say true happiness, same thing. Everyone who spoke meaning, every single one of you, coming from this deep yearning for what you know is possible. This is truly what we mean by religion, no matter what we call it, no matter what shape or form it takes. The spiritual yearning that we give so many different names to, what is beyond the name, beyond the form, This is what we are here to experience for ourselves so that we can know we ourselves are not cut off in any way, not separate in any way from all others, all other beings. So what happens inside, here, within us, is profoundly meaningful for all. We are one. We say women transcending boundaries. Of course, we have to say men and women transcending boundaries, right? But it started, this group started, when some of us got together right after 9-11. We realized that our families who practiced Islam were really in fear Women who went shopping were afraid to go into the store to buy food. They were afraid to send their children to school because of the hatred, the lack of understanding in the wake of 9-11. Prejudice. And of course, fear begets fear, begets anger, begets violence. And so we felt We need to stand together, right? We need to be one with each other, to understand each other. And that, from September 2001, here we are. We've been meeting every month, every Sunday, since 2001. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And it's become a model for other groups throughout the whole country. 
So really to welcome this transcending boundaries, to understand how we must be here for each other, stand up for each other, witness for each other, and understand there is no separate self and other. What happens to you is happening to me. When I realize my true happiness cannot be but realized by you as well. Same. There is an interesting passage in uh, this book called Meditation as Contemplative Inquiry When Knowing Becomes Love. Again, this is what we are doing. Women transcending boundaries. Women, men, transcending limits. That's when knowing becomes love. And it's by a man whose first name I can pronounce, but the second, no way. Arthur Z-A-J-O-N-C. He pronounces it rhymed with science. Zions. Okay. She's told me this so many times, but I can never remember. (laughs) Zions. So here's what he says about meditation. Meditation is a schooling for for experiencing life from the inside. When we say transcending boundaries, think about it this way too, inside and outside, right? We typically think there is a boundary between what's within us and what's outside us. And we think what's outside us is what we have to focus on. That's where our success lies. That's where our responsibilities lie, right? So now I'll continue. As important as the exterior aspects of life are, an equally important but largely silent component of reality resides behind the easy exteriority of things. Of course, It's never easy, is it? But it's easy for us to get caught there, is what he means. Most of our lives are relentlessly committed to the external necessities and pleasures of life. Do you ever think about that? I'm relentlessly engaged in pleasure. (laughs) But it does have that kind of grip, doesn't it? When we get caught up, we want more. We want better. Our jobs and families, our travel and entertainment figure prominently in the turn of the seasons and the hours of the day. These diverse aspects are automatically experienced from the outside. It takes conscious effort to experience life from the inside. Every outside has an inside, but that inside goes largely unobserved. It takes conscious effort. So this is why we meditate. Takes conscious effort means no matter what's happening on the outside, right now you're getting caught up. Who's here? What are those sounds? How many people are coming in, right? How easy it is to get caught in the exterior. What should I do? Should I put out more chairs? 
yes, you'd better. <laughs> right? We can't just ignore. And at the same time, coming from the inside, we can tend to the outside without any boundary. That's the point. We don't come to meditate so that we can ignore. Right? Yes? Yes? Right? See? Two cases in action. However, what we find is that we get so caught up. We do get relentlessly caught up in the outside. We do experience exterior events as the only thing. And so we basically lose out on half of our lives, right? You've ever, I think probably you've all heard that uh, we only use about 10% of our brain. Is that right? Yes? So when he says about half, he's actually wrong. It should be about 90% that we lose. We only use about 10%. The very superficial exteriority of our lives we engage with. About 90%, we miss it. Why do we miss it? The conscious effort is not being... Mm. Yeah, so we're not aware. Mm-hmm. That's the way we're taught. We're brainwashed. Only be concerned about success and failure, good and bad, this and that. And that's, of course, where the boundaries come from, right? You're okay. You're not okay. That kind of thing. Immediately, our brains work that way. So when we make this conscious effort, and it does take... A conscious effort. There's a poem in here by uh, Emily Dickinson. One of the things I like about this book is it's so syncretic. It has so many different things that all come together to really show this practice of being one with. Here's what she says. I many times thought peace had come when peace was far away. As wrecked men deem they sight the land at center of the sea and struggle slacker but to prove as hopelessly as I how many fictitious shores before the harbor lie. So we can be quite lib about saying, yes, I'm here to find peace. But again, this fictitious peace falls away, and inside we find out that there's anything but. We may work toward justice, But inside, we find that there's anything but. We may believe in happiness, but inside, we find that there's anything but. And so, we don't want to look inside, right? 
Instead, we get caught up in distractions and get busier and busier and busier and busier, noisier and noisier. And we think we're fixing the world when in actuality, just adding another source of confusion. Why didn't it go right? We might ask ourselves. I was going to make it better. And how come that person didn't understand that that was the better way to do things? That person had some idea that was completely wrong. Right? This is too often what happens. We're so sure of our own way, and we impose it. But our way, this is what creates boundaries, our way may be different from another person's understanding. So what can we do? Meet that person, right? To meet as one in meditation. That's the whole point. Not to be stuck in dualism, but to meet as oneness. Our original oneness, where there is nothing added, where there is nothing that is lacking. Trungpa Rinpoche, a great Tibetan teacher who came to this country many years ago, said, because nothing happens, everything happens. That nothing happening is the experience of openness. And that percolation is the experience of compassion. Because nothing happens. We have to really work to make nothing happen. That's the irony. We can't just say, oh yeah, Buddha taught everyone is awake, everyone is enlightened, so I'm enlightened, okay, great. (laughs) And then we find out all kinds of different things are happening, right? But when we enter into this, nothing happens. This is the silence, into great silence without immediately jumping into the distractibility of our minds. When we sit down in silence in this beautiful meditation hall, what we typically notice, because we haven't had a chance to notice it before, is what? Distractibility, right? Mind is here, mind is there, jumping here, jumping there. All kinds of things are happening. How many of you manage to sit in complete silence and stillness in the mind? Body can look just wonderfully still, right? Maybe, maybe not. But most of us, in any case, have learned how to sit in a way that is still. And yet, and yet, takes a lot of practice to still the mind to open into this silence. Right now, while I'm talking, I'm stirring things up for you. You're having many, many concepts. That's why talking, really, I can point to the moon as the expression goes, full moon of enlightenment. Talking is just pointing. But to experience this yourself is another matter. That's what we're here to do.
Because nothing happens. Everything happens. When we sit really deeply and enter into this no form, no thing, no word, no movement, just one as it is, then everything happens. Then we can really feel, really see, really hear. Once in a retreat, some of you may have heard me tell this, I became so aware of, like the tea company, constant comment. Yeah, constant comment all the time. Thinking, okay, now I'm going to have this wonderful, quiet, still mind. And immediately thinking, oh, is it still? Is it quiet? What about such and such? How about that? Oh, look at that. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Constant comment. But at a certain point, it all fell away. And a poem came to me, and it goes like this. Wordless at last. Now I understand the language of everything. This is the everything that Trungpa is talking about. Because nothing happens, everything happens. So this is, you know, the power of words is also the problem of words, right? So much of our lives, we miss it. We miss it. We miss it. Afterwards, maybe a second later, we think, oh, what was that? Or someone says, did you notice the way the light was sparkling on the snow as you walked in? And you may say, oh, yeah. But inside, you may think, what did she see that I didn't see? This one example. We're always missing it because our minds are so caught up in projection, in reflection, in commenting on what we think was happening. We can't see it. So when we really go into this nothing, nothing, no word, no shape or form, no color, Immediately, the conceptual mind says, well, I don't want to live like that. The point is, when we do open to this no thing, then we are so amazed at the wonder of everything. Some time ago, a biography came out of John Cage, the composer, and I read to you some sections, and um, I think that was maybe a year ago. Just now, there is a show at the Museum of Modern Art 
called There Will Never Be Silence, scoring John Cage's 4 minutes 33 seconds. And there was a review in the paper yesterday, so I want to uh, share with you some aspects of this because Cage was so interested in what we're talking about and practice Zen. His first public appearance in New York was February 7th, 1943, the year of my birth. Seventy years later, he's back. He had many experiments with what he called chance operations. This means what we think we need to do and make and put together is very often so shaped by preconception that we miss what is at hand right here, right now. Cage wanted to explore what could not be put into form. And he used form to show the formless realm. It culminated this this exhibition um, and his experiments with chance operations culminated in his groundbreaking and still controversial four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. The score to that work, first performed by the pianist David Tudor for a stunned audience in Woodstock, New York, in August of 1952, is in the museum's collection and serves as the fulcral point of the show. At the first that first performance of 4 minutes 33 seconds, Cage later recalled, the audience was presented with what they thought was silence because they didn't know how to listen. In a way, we could say that's exactly what meditation is. We're listening. We're listening to what? What are we listening to? Who hmm? Wait. Because I'm half deaf, I need my glasses. I can watch your lips. Go ahead. <laughs> you don't listen to who is speak. For this reason, that's me. You don't say that. Because you understand what I mean? They're not listening to the speaking. They're listening to what? It's underneath that. Maybe how we feel. Maybe even be, be even underneath the feelings. Yeah. What's beneath that? I was going to say the heart. A heart. The heart. The. Uh, Listening to the heart. You mean? Mean the vibration. Vibration. Listening to okay vibration that is underneath it all, right? To the stillness, inner stillness. What's another word for that? Essence? Yeah. Another word? The container. Hmm? The container. Container? What else? Soul. Soul? What else? God. Hmm? God. Say it louder. God. God. Absolutely. Hmm? It's like listening to a candle. You focus on a candle, but yet you're listening to the candle for the vibration, for the light, for the harmony. So, you know, in Buddhism, very often people say, well, you guys, you don't believe in God, do you? 
No, we don't believe in God. We listen to God. This is what we're doing. Listening. So Cage said, because they didn't know how to listen. In fact, the rendition was full of accidental sounds. During this period of his piece being performed, four minutes and 33 seconds in which the pianist did not touch the keys. You could hear the wind stirring outside during the first movement, he continued. During the second, raindrops began pattering on the roof. And during the third, just like any composition, it had three movements, right, or four, And during the third, people themselves made all kinds of interesting sounds (laughs) as they talked and walked out. So we heard people making all kinds of interesting sounds as they talked and walked in. Right? And Cage... Before the end of four minutes and 33 seconds, people were like, what is this anyway? I'm getting out of here. That, too, was part of his piece. Did he plan it? No. That's the point. Can this be planned? No. When we plan, we miss it. Of course, in our lives, we have to plan. Yes, you know, figure out. How am I going to go shopping tomorrow if I don't have gas in the car, etc., etc.? So then, also in this exhibition, uh, some of the artists from the Fluxus movement who were inspired by Cage are represented, including Yoko Ono. Remember Yoko Ono? Some of you who are over 13. <laughs> Her book, Grapefruit, in the show is open to a page containing kitchen piece dating from the winter of 1960. Hang a canvas on a wall, she writes. Throw all the leftovers you have in the kitchen that day on the canvas. You may prepare special food for the piece. This sounds Ridiculous in a way, but in some wonderful and mysterious way, she is suggesting something that comes out of this experience of silence, of stillness, of listening, of seeing, chance. Random occurrences. Because we're always thinking it should be shaped and formed a certain way, we miss it. Just as it is right here, right now. Just as you are. Right here, right now. We are. Listening. And receiving everything we need.